Currently, we are in a series that we are calling Hope in These Last Days. And last week, we focused on how we don't need to fear the last days. Christ will bring us through the crisis. Amen? We focus not on the pain, but the promises. And we don't get depressed as we think about doom, but rather we focus on the deliverance in Jesus Christ. So we can not only face what is coming, but we can face it confidently and courageously in Jesus Christ. Amen? In fact, we looked uh, last week at the coming crisis, anticipated or dreaded. And we looked at these four key events, the proclamation of the gospel, the announcement of the judgment, the call to worship the Creator, and lastly, a warning against false worship. And today, we're looking at a different piece, revival, genuine or counterfeit. And next week, we'll look at shaken or sealed. So for today's piece, revival, true or false revival, genuine or counterfeit. Pathfinders, it's good to be prepared when you are out backpacking and camping and all of the rest. But spiritually, Pathfinders is to prepare you as well. And so we're going to look at that today. You know, just as God used Romans in the Reformation period and God used Martin Luther to bring about revival, that was present truth for that hour. So in these last days, I believe revelation is present truth for our time in this hour. And we read in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, who God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And continuing on in verse 3, blessed is he who does three things. I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed. I want to do these three things. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. God wants his end time people to also be prepared. Not to be caught off guard, but to be ready for what is coming. You know, we look at the news. Every time you turn on the news, I can't help but see signs that say, be prepared, be prepared, be prepared. We have never lived, I believe, in a time that's been quite this crazy, where the Pope is choosing to weigh in on our political process. We live in interesting times. <clears throat> and as we jump into Revelation today, and we won't be in Revelation quite as much, but we'll be in it some I want to look at two principles when it comes to prophecy. The first principle is repetition and enlargement. Repetition and enlargement. We will never interpret prophecy wrongly if you understand this principle, which is rather simple and basic, of repetition and enlargement. And so if we look at Daniel 2 for an example, in Daniel 2 we have a basic outline of history that takes you from the days of Babylon and then Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, and then the break of Roman Empire and the coming of Christ. We get that outline, don't we? 
But then when we move to Daniel chapter 7, it covers the same ground, but then you add. That's the repetition, but then the enlargement, you add the judgment and the little horn. Then when you get to Daniel chapter 8, it covers the same ground, except it begins in Medo-Persia, and it goes through Rome, the breaking up of the Roman Empire, then the little horn, the papacy, then the judgment, and adds the cleansing of the sanctuary. So again, this idea of repetition and enlargement. And by the time you get to Daniel chapter 11, in the conflict with the king of the north, it essentially does the same thing, but like chapter 8, it also leaves out Babylon because his vision is in the days of Medo-Persia and takes us all the way through. We have a similar thing in Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, we have the basic introduction and all time sequence prophecies begins right here in the time of the prophet. We'll look at that in just a minute. But, and then we have the seven churches, which gives us the basic outline, if you will. Then we have the seven seals, which amplifies and enlarges the seven churches, followed by the seven trumpets, which amplify even further the seven churches and the seven seals. And by the time you get to Revelation 12, it's like a hinge in the book. So the first principle is repetition and enlargement. And the second principle is time sequence prophecies always begin where the prophet is. Did you catch that? So in Daniel 2, it begins in Babylon. It anchors us there because that's where the prophet is. By the time you get to Daniel chapter 8 and 11, it begins in Medo-Persia because at that time, Babylon has already passed on and it's starting where the prophet is. Does that make sense? So in Revelation, well, there's Daniel 2, Daniel 7, then Daniel 8, you have it starts in Medo-Persia and then 11 as well. So in Revelation, where should the time prophecies begin? Are you with me? According to this principle, it should happen in the days of John, or begin anyway, or the days of Rome. So if you deal with the seven churches, the seven seals, the seven trumpets in this way, it certainly helps. Otherwise, you get all confused. You have all kinds of random interpretations starting at various times, and on and on and on. It can lead to all kinds of confusion. By the time you get to the trumpets, everything is, is out of control. So in Daniel chapters 1 to 6, we have the how to be ready in end times. In Daniel chapters 7 through 12, it answers more the when end time events will occur. In Revelation 1 to 11, again, you have this idea of how, the practical chapters of a church facing end time and how to prepare. That's what we learn in the seven churches the different kinds of Christians in every age, and how to prepare. That's what we learn in the seven seals, what the church would face and how to prepare. That's what we learn in the seven trumpets. So this is an entire purpose um, in the first 11 chapters. So just like Daniel, you have the how first in Revelation, and then the when second. But when you get to Revelation chapters 12 to 22, it's more of the when, the unfolding in unique detail in time events that answers the when question. So that's a little groundwork. Remember these two principles, repetition and enlargement and time sequence prophecy always begins where the prophet is. That will help us today. But now we're going to jump into this revival, true or false revival. 
Is it genuine or counterfeit? Braden did a wonderful job of reading us our scripture today, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. You know these verses well. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The battle is going to be between Christ and Satan. Good and evil. I mean, if the devil can deceive one-third of the angels in heaven, can we not expect him to pull out every stop at end time? So we are entering a battle, and we need to know the battle plan. But thank the Lord that we do not go forward blindly, but we can be prepared. You know, in every war... There is a war strategy. And I'm thankful that in Revelation and the books of the Bible that also give us insight into Revelation, we can understand the devil's war strategy. Isn't that what every war general would want, to know the enemy's war strategy? And so we're going to look at the object of Satan's attack this morning, both for non-Christians, but also for Christians and Seventh-day Adventists. And so here we have Satan's two strategies for non-Christians. Satan's two strategies for non-Christians. Strategy number one, war, conflict, and strife as a strategy for deception. Matthew 24, verse 7, we read, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine and pestilence, earthquake in various places. Now, friends, wars happen not simply because political powers are in conflict. Wars happen because the devil wants them to happen. It's a strategy of his deception. In Great Controversy 589, we read this. Satan delights in war, for it excites the worst passions of the soul and then sweeps into eternity its victims steeped in vice and blood. It is his object, the devil's object, to incite the nations to war against one another, for he can thus divert the minds of the people from the work of preparation to stand in the day of of God. Isn't that an insightful quote? It's the devil that incites war to distract us, to bring out the worst passions in us. By the way, a little aside, some Seventh-day Adventists believe that when they sign up for the military, they automatically will get their Sabbath off and they won't have to bear arms. That's not the case. Because there is no draft. And when you're not in a time of of draft, then you forfeit. When you sign up for the military, you forfeit those rights. So strategy number one, war, conflict, and strife. But strategy number two, natural disasters, economic chaos, and social collapse. Continuing on in Great Controversy 589, 
It says, Satan works through the elements also to garner his harvest of unprepared souls. He has studied the secrets of the laboratories of nature. And he uses all his power to control the elements as far as God allows. In accidents and calamities by sea and by land, in great conflagrations, that's fires, in fierce tornadoes and terrific hailstorms, in tempests, floods, cyclones, tidal waves, and earthquakes, in every place and in a thousand forms, Satan is exercising his power. He sweeps away the ripening harvest and famine and distress follow. He imparts to the air a deadly taint and thousands perish by the pestilence. These visitations are to become more and more frequent and disastrous. Ephesians chapter 2, 2, we see, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He studies in laboratories of nature. He comes up with all kinds of ways to, ki- to cause all these problems. Will we have fewer natural disasters at end times? No. Fewer famines? No. Fewer hurricanes? And who is behind it all? And why does his plan work? Well, people take for granted that God causes these disasters, don't they? You file your insurance claim, and there's a a thing that you can fill out that says this was an act of... I've never seen it say an act of the devil. This is an act of God. And it gives Satan an opportunity to blame disasters on faithful, Bible-believing Christians who are attempting to live in harmony with God's will. So in summary, you have repetition, you have enlargement, you have the three angels' message, the gospel going to the ends of the earth, and the call for men and women to obedience to God. And it's done in the midst of increasing war and calamity and natural disasters. And the devil blames God and hardens people in error. He's working both ends against the middle, isn't he? He causes the calamities, but then he blames God for the same calamity. But this strategy doesn't work for everyone. So he has strategies also for Christians and for Seventh-day Adventists. Let's look at those. These are Satan's four strategies now, not for non-Christians, but for Christians and for Seventh-day Adventists. Strategy number one, false and counterfeit miracles. Matthew 24, 24. That's not it. Oh, well, we'll skip it. We'll look it up. We've got Bibles. We're always prepared. Matthew 24, 24. There we read, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Great signs and wonders, miracles to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. Who are the very elect? This will come into non-Adventist Christian world, but will also come into the Adventist church as well, I believe. Will God work miracles at end time? 
Yes. Then is it important to know the difference between true and false miracles at the end? Let's look at this verse now, Matthew chapter 7. I just had the wrong text. It was right there all along. You knew that and you didn't tell me. That's all right. I do want you to look up Matthew chapter 7. I want you to see this for yourself. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Don't worry about the screen for this slide. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, we read, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does, reference to obedience, the will of my Father in heaven. Many, not a few, but many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders or miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Again, reference to obedience. He never knew them? He never knew them. Apparently, just because you do something in the name of the Lord doesn't mean God's in it. Doesn't mean he's behind the activity. And why not? Verse 23 tells us, I never knew you. Depart, me, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. All the miracles in the world do not justify disobedience. You can tell the difference between true and false miracles. Are you more interested in the gifts of the Spirit? then you are interested in the fruits of the Spirit? Are you leaving your minds vulnerable to being deceived? I had a church member one time. He actually was one of my elders, and he loved the sensational. And he wanted to be part of the sensational. He wanted big crowds to come in. He wanted big crowds to come listen to him speak. He wanted to be able to speak in tongues. He wanted to do all of these things. But he was not at all concerned about having the fruits of the Spirit in his own life. In fact, later it came to my attention that he smoked marijuana and I had to deal with that. Where in the Bible does God tell us to seek for the gift of healing or the gift of miracles or the gift of prophecy? Does it tell us to seek after those things? 1 Corinthians, let's see if it works. Well, that's the verse we we're going to look up. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as you desire? No, as He wills. So the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts as He wills. We seek the fruits of the Spirit, and God gives us these gifts as He sees fit. So if I'm lobbying for a certain gift, that's a problem. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
But if you're caught in the spectacular and you want power, you may get it from the source of fallen or false power. No better to seek the fruits of the Spirit and allow Jesus to be manifest in you. To say, Lord, whatever you want me to do in my life that glorifies you, I'm willing to do. But the emphasis on this charismatic gifts of the Spirit in many a church today is a quick fix for a superficial generation that is not disciplined in studying the Word of God that transforms our character and heart and mind and soul and life. So how do you tell the difference between true and false miracles? You tell it by attitude, by ambition, by what the heart seeks. God does not pour out his Holy Spirit in miracle-working power to those seeking self-glory. God does not pour out the Holy Spirit in the morning so that in the evening you can go party. If you're more interested in the gift of tongues than dealing with your own critical tongue, you're interested in the wrong tongue. The miracle of healings, healing John's sickness is a greater interest to you than the healing of your lustful thoughts. You're interested in the wrong healing. If the miracle you want is the miracle of power in your life rather than transformation of your own heart, you're looking for the wrong miracle. But God has a group of people that say, Jesus, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do with me, so be it. And it's those people that are safe for the Holy Spirit to be poured into their lives. And we will see miracles for the glory of God. Satan has false miracles and he has some objectives he wants to accomplish, I believe, in these false miracles. One is false miracles, or miracles we could just say, create a false religious excitement. It builds ego, builds the self, looks at me and not at him. It's the illusion of religion. This is a, a sacred religious concert, by the way. The illusion of religion, the illusion of spirituality, but it is not the transformation of character. There's no repentance, there's no dealing with sin. Second objective, to strengthen people in disobedience and rebellion. Again, Christian concert. Does that look like dealing with sin, or is that simply strengthening people in disobedience and rebellion? If I have the power, why do I have to worry about the Sabbath? So there's this dichotomy between truth and power. And thirdly, it discredits God's people. Why go over there, that small church? It's dead. Over here, I've got the power. Look at all the people coming out in mass to my church and worship service. Now, friends, there's no justification for a dead Adventist church. 
with the message we have and the power of the Holy Spirit, every Adventist church should be on fire for him. Now, there's two things to note, though. Satan's counterfeits are always high quality. Have you noticed that? I don't mean high quality in the fact that they're good, but high quality in the fact that, well, they're good. Now, I got you confused. Satan never does anything halfway. Does that make a little more sense? His counterfeits are always high quality. Remember when Moses threw down his rod and Pharaoh's assistants also threw down their rod? High quality. Satan's counterfeits both miracles and the truth. You can believe a lie, but you can only know the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. I want you to look that one up with me as well. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. It's an interesting passage as it talks about lies and miracles together in the same passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Thessalonians. What did I say? Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. We'll get it right. That's what you're there for. <clears throat> Keep me straight. Now let's see if I can read it out of the right verse in my Bible. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all powers, signs or miracles, and lying wonders. So the Antichrist has power, signs, lying wonders, and he is the lawless one. Let's keep going. Verse 10, and with all unrighteousness, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusions that they should believe the lie. Now, God is not active in sending, but allows this lie to come. So if you don't love the truth, this passage is saying to us, if we don't love the truth, if we don't long after the truth, seek out the truth, we'll believe a lie. The truth is the only thing to counteract a lie. Otherwise, how do I know if it's a lie? Sounds good. Enough people are believing it. The path is well worn. So the devil works up this false religious revival to counterfeit miracles. Then he introduces error. So what's the way to not receive the lie? Simple, to love the truth, to be immersed in the truth. And then verse 12 and 13, let's finish this. They that all may be condemned did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. There it is again. What is it that keeps us secure? It's God holding us. It's the Spirit working in us. It's the truth sanctifying us. So how will you tell the difference between true and false miracles? 
God will work true miracles through those totally surrendered to Him, whose hearts are of undivided loyalty, who are committed to His Word, who want to live obedient and God-fearing lives, who have the fruits of the Spirit manifest in their lives. But false miracles will be worked by those who want a quick religious fix that's superficial. They're not emphasizing, emphasizing the godly life of sanctification and obedience. It's do whatever you want, but come and feel religious for an hour. So we need to keep moving here. Satan's four strategies. We've looked at the first one, false and counterfeit miracles. These are strategies for Christians and Seventh-day Adventists. Strategy number two, counterfeit religious revival. And all of these go together quite closely. The last great movement in the world is not a secular movement, folks, in which secular men and women oppose the people of God. No, the last great movement will be a religious movement, a counterfeit to the revival of primitive godliness that will be taking place among God's people. The last great movement will be a religious movement. Maybe the Pope will weigh in. And the arguments brought against the saints in the last days will be religious arguments. The motivations for those walking close to their Heavenly Father will be religious motivations. With all this happening, why can't we just come together? Why can't we just pray? Why won't you open up your churches on Sunday and be part of this? In fact, it seems like you're, you're kind of blocking what God wants to do. Great Controversy 464. It says, Before the final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth. Now that's the seven plagues. We'll talk about those later. So before the seven last plagues, before the close of probation, the final visitation of God's judgments on the earth, there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic times. I believe that's a reference to the latter rain falling. Not all at once, but a crescendo. I used to play timpani, and oftentimes you start low, and you grow, and you build, and you get louder and more intense. That's a crescendo. Ellen White says we're living in the time of the latter rain now, but I believe it's only going to build and crescendo. Continuing on, the spirit and power of God will be poured out upon his children. The enemy of souls desires to hinder this work, the latter rain, the loud cry. And before the time of such a movement shall come, he, Satan, will endeavor to prevent it by introducing a counterfeit. So does the counterfeit revival within Adventism take place before or after the latter rain and loud cry are given in its fullness? Wait a minute. There will be in the world and in some Adventist churches a counterfeit religious revival that will come before the outpouring of the latter rain and the loud cry. Doesn't it make sense? What good is a counterfeit after the fact? The devil reads prophecy. 
He knows that the final pouring of the latter rain and the loud cry will finish God's work. So Satan wants to get people involved in the counterfeit so they will miss the truth. That's what it's talking about. The quote goes on. In those churches which he can bring under his deceptive power, he will make it appear that God's special blessing is being poured out. What will thousands be saying? This is God's special blessing. But it won't be. There will be manifest what is thought to be great religious interest. Our church is full. We need to have an expansion of our sanctuary. Multitudes will exalt that God is working marvelously for them when the work is that of another spirit. Under a religious guise, Satan will seek to extend his influence over the Christian world. What can we expect to see? Here's what we can expect to see. Here in America, we can expect to see a mighty religious interest. We can expect economic chaos. We can expect further disaster and turmoil. And in that context, churches will be calling for all-night prayer vigils. There will be great churches across America that rise up in revival. There will be miracles that sweep through these churches. There will be the gift of tongues that sweep through. Many Adventists that have been barren spiritually, longing, for something genuine and authentic, but have not rooted their minds in the Word of God, will be swept off their feet. Adventism will be affected by the crisis that will come. The false revival that will take place in the context of chaos will sweep almost the whole world. But there will be those who are loyal and faithful and true to God, who are longing to reflect in their lives the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. They're longing to bring glory to His name. They have surrendered their hearts. They're the remnant. They seek His will. And upon this group of people, the Holy Spirit is poured out. The loud cry is given. With thousands of voices all over the world, the honest in heart are drawn in. Multiplied millions come into this last day message. And it triumphs in glory. That's what we can expect. Four strategies we need to get moving. Strategy number three, spiritualism. I almost don't even need to talk about this one. Through the agency of spiritualism, miracles will be wrought. The sick will be healed and many undeniable wonders will be performed. And as the spirits will profess faith in the Bible and manifest respect for the institutions of the church, their work will be accepted as a manifestation of divine power. 
Through spiritualism, Satan appears as a benefactor of the race, healing the diseases of the people and professing to present a new and more exalted system of religious faith through spiritualism. So the devil's going to use spiritualism. Life after death experiences. I could tell you about experiences. You could tell me probably about experiences. Seems like every time I do a Bible study with somebody, they say, oh, but I have a question. You know, grandma was coming back. Even, even Sharon Ferguson has her own testimony when she was coming into the church of a family member that continued to visit her until she understood the truth on this issue. And the devil is just going rampant with this. It's all over in the media. I almost shudder to show you. There's a TV show called Supernatural. You can't hardly read it in between these two guys, so I tried to blow it up. It says, all evil will see the light. That's what it says. And the snake, and anyway, we'll move on. Medium, that came out a while ago. Ghost whisperer, this is spiritualism, folks. This is another TV series called Grim. You can just read about it online and know that it's not... I mean, look at the hand there. I think this person's trying to protect people from uh, supernatural spirits that haunt them. And I mean, it just goes on and on. I don't even want to leave this on the screen very long. These are two movies that are out that are extremely spiritual, you know, spiritualistic in nature. We're going to go on to something else. Job chapter 7, 9, and 10. The dead never return to their homes, it says. The world doesn't believe that, but that's what the Bible says. Amen. Ecclesiastes 9, 5. The living know that they will die, but the dead know not anything. We could go on. Psalm 6, 5. In the grave there is no remembrance of you. And Psalm 115 says, The dead praise not the Lord. But the devil's having a field day with this one. And he's opening this huge door. If I can just be a little bit curious, if my mind can be open to this idea of the netherworld and all the rest. Now, the devil exists and his angels exist, but not in the ways that he portrays. And you're opening Pandora's box when you go there. Friends, the devil is going to palm off a huge counterfeit. And here it is. Unless you have faith in the word of God and you have not learned to trust your emotions, you will be deceived. I will be deceived. If I've learned to trust merely my emotions. If you allow yourself to be hyped up constantly and you live on an experience of the emotional high, the devil will give to you a false emotional high. That's why God's leading us back to his word. That's why he's leading us to something solid, something secure. The devil always wants us to base truth on experience. God wants us to evaluate our experience by truth. There's a difference. My experience does not determine what is truth. Truth always governs and guides and shapes my experience. 
It's not that I long for an experience, and because I have that experience, that verifies what truth is. That's backwards. But all experience and religious belief is tested by the truth, not the other way around. But to a generation that says, we need to have an experience. That's what these concerts are, are driven by. Come to our, you'll have an experience. You'll feel God to your core. You won't be able to hear anything else for the next three days, but you'll feel God. And sometimes I hear that too about, well, our worship services, we need to, to, to really experience we need to be careful. God created emotions. He wants us to feel his presence and to feel that peace and all those things. But if we're hooked merely on an experience, void of truth, that's a problem. And we'll be deceived. The devil can give a counterfeit experience through spiritualism. And lastly here, strategy number four, <clears throat> Satan's impersonation of Christ. Great Controversy 624. As the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. The church has long professed to look to the Savior's advent as the consummation of her hopes. Now the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness, resembling the description of the Son of God given by John in the Revelation. And you can read those verses there, that description. And so the false latter rain comes before the true. The false loud cry comes before the true. The false miracles before the true. The false manifestation of God's second coming before the true. But thank God for his word. Thank God for the light on the map, on the road ahead, that we can be prepared. Hosea 6, 1 to 3. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. That's key. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain on the earth. God will have the final word. You know, the former rain fell gently in the spring. Waters the seed, helps it germinate, starts to grow. But it's the latter rain that brings a mighty harvest. Can the latter rain germinate seed that's not been planted? Can the latter rain cause crops to grow if they're not already there? In Luke chapter 8, we have the parable of the sower. Jesus says the seed is the word of God. Take the seed of his word and plant it in your heart. 
I believe the Holy Spirit longs to intensify the virtues that have already been planted in your life and mine. And you might be thinking, we passed out all that literature to no avail. We did evangelism and nobody was baptized. When did God say, only do it if you get results? Sow the seed. Pass out the literature. Give the Bible studies. Give the message of God. Because when the latter rain falls in its fullness, all those TV, radio, evangelism, Bible studies are going to come to a great harvest for God. And thousands and thousands will come to this last day message. We need to be seed sowers. Seed flingers in every place we go, throwing seed. Don't worry about all those people that say, it can't be done. Don't worry about those people that say, oh, you're spending all your money on evangelism. Yeah, what are you spending your money on? I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about some egotistical success syndrome. All I want to do is I want to do it for Jesus. Tell somebody about Jesus. Give the Bible study. Get involved in that radio program. Whatever it is, do it for Jesus. The work will be similar to that of the day of Pentecost. In fact, right before this, it talks about how the Holy Spirit worked in our Advent movement. And she talks about how that will be nothing in comparison to what God will do. And then she says this, The work will be similar to that of the day of Pentecost. As the former rain was given, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as the opening of the gospel to cause the upspringing of the precious seed, so the latter rain will be given at its close for the ripening of the harvest. And then there we have Hosea 6, verse 3. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us the rain as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. And then she quotes Joel 2, 23. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately. He has given you the former rain moderately. When was the former rain given? Pentecost. How many were baptized in a single day? 3,000. That's moderately compared to what is to come. It says, He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain. And in Acts 2, In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that a beautiful promise? God's people, God's truth, God's church will not be outdone by Satan. There will be those on their knees praying and seeking him 
who are fully surrendered to Jesus, who are passionate about sharing his love with others. And he will pour out his spirit in latter rain power. And the work of God on earth will be finished. There will be a crisis. But Christ will take us through the crisis. There will be a great shaking. But God's truth will prevail. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful message that you have given and entrusted to us. Lord, may we not hide it under a bushel, but may we proclaim it with all love and sensitivity, but with boldness and with courage, because it is your message for this world, for this time. We know that hell will not prevail against your kingdom, that you will have the last word. And we want to be found faithful on that day by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.